This podcast is brought to you by Proton Dealership IT, the cybersecurity and IT experts committed to keeping your dealership safe from cyber attacks. To learn more about how to better protect your dealership, go to info.protontex.com slash fish. That's I-N-F-O.P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. I'm Jake Neer of Automotive News in Detroit, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, Ford names a new COO. GM pushes back the start of EV production at a Michigan plant, and Stellantis pulls out of CES, citing the UAW strike and cost concerns. Plus, Texas A&M Transportation Institute Director Greg Winfrey talks about the ever-evolving state of autonomous vehicle technology on U.S. roadways. The only real way to get to the billion-mile issue is to drive a billion miles. So there's no substitute for a learning environment in a dynamic, real-world setting. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Kumar Galhotra is Ford Motor Company's new COO. It's a position that recently has served as a stepping stone to the chief executive role as the automaker simplifies its organizational structure and works to deliver on its growth plan. Galhotra has been president of the company's gasoline and hybrid business Ford Blue. He now leads its global industrial system. Ford says he's now responsible for global vehicle engineering and cycle planning, internal combustion and hybrid programs, supply chain management, and manufacturing of vehicles for all of Ford's business units. Two of Ford's past three CEOs, Jim Farley and Mark Fields, were named COO before ultimately rising to the top spot. The position has been vacant since late 2020 when Farley was promoted. Andrew Frick will replace Galhotra as head of Ford Blue. He previously served as vice president of sales, distribution, and trucks for the division. General Motors says it will push back the launch of electric pickup production at a Detroit-area factory until late 2025. It cited electric vehicle demand and the need for engineering upgrades. GM says the delay in starting output of the Chevrolet Silverado EV and GMC Sierra EV at Orion Assembly Plant is not related to the ongoing UAW strike. Rather, it says the move is meant to, quote, better manage capital investment while aligning with evolving EV demand. About a thousand employees at Orion Assembly will be able to transfer to other assembly plants in Michigan, including GM's Factory Zero in Detroit, that already builds the Silverado EV along with the GMC Hummer EV pickup and SUV. Factory Zero is expected to add a second shift in 2024. That's when it will start building the Sierra EV as well. GM said the employees will have the opportunity to return to the Orion plant when retooling is finished. Here's an announcement that is related to the UAW strike. Stellantis is abandoning plans to participate in the 2024 CES Tech Expo in a cost-saving move. 
The automaker has used the world's largest technology show to unveil electric vehicle concepts such as the Ram 1500 Revolution pickup and Chrysler Airflow crossover. Stellantis says it's canceling its display and presentations at the January event as part of the contingency plan implemented since the beginning of the UAW strike. The union has been on strike against the Detroit 3 since September 15th, though fewer than a quarter of the company's workers have walked off the job so far. And AutoNation is out when it comes to the bidding war over the UK's Pendragon retail chain. AutoNation says it will not make a formal offer for Pendragon. It's a move that puts Lithium Motors in the driver's seat to acquire the coveted publicly traded company. In late September, Pendragon said it received an unsolicited proposal from AutoNation to acquire the company. Reuters valued the offer at $544 million. At the time, AutoNation said there was no certainty whether it would make a binding offer. Pendragon said it was considering that proposal and that AutoNation had till October 24th to announce a firm intention to make an offer. AutoNation's unsolicited proposal followed two joint proposals from Penske Automotive Group along with Sweden's Hedin Mobility Group. Penske and Hedin said this month that they do not intend to make an offer to buy Pendragon. Those announcements followed Lithia's decision this month to increase its offer to acquire the dealership and fleet business of Pendragon for $482 million, up from the initial offer of $350 million. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, is self-driving technology set to accelerate or hit more speed bumps? We'll hear from Texas A&M Transportation Institute Director Greg Winfrey next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Email phishing happens every day. Cyber criminals are out to trick your employees and coworkers into handing over valuable information that can compromise your dealership through impersonations, fake giveaways, and urgent emergency requests. All it takes is one click to shut down everything. Phishing is the leading cybersecurity concern for dealerships. Without the proper training and protection, your business is left vulnerable to ever-evolving attacks. One day you click an email, and the next thing you know, you get a call from your IT guy. Your email has been compromised, shut down immediately. Stories of attacks and their consequences come flooding in every day. And all it takes is one click to shut down your dealership. You have enough to worry about as it is, 
Don't add getting hacked to the list. Let Proton Dealership IT help ensure you are fully protected and learn how at info.protontext.com slash fish. That's I-N-F-O dot P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. Autonomous vehicles have come a long way, light years it seems, in just the past couple of years. But the technology is still controversial and has seen some serious setbacks due to crashes and other incidents on the road. Greg Winfrey is the director of Texas A&M's Transportation Institute. He joined Automotive News Tech and Innovation team leader Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. Here's a piece of their conversation. We were probably just talking about San Francisco in terms of autonomous vehicles four years ago. And clearly, San Francisco is still at the forefront today and kind of in the headlines every day. But it's not the only place. Uh, Austin, Texas, has, which is just down the road from you by maybe an hour or two, clearly a hotspot for robo-taxi te- testing and commercial deployments. Uh, and beyond, Texas has become the place for self-driving truck testing and planned commercial deployments in the very near future. Um, how did it come to pass, Greg, that Texas is is loaded with autonomous vehicle technology? That's a great question. It, so our legislature meets uh, on an every other year basis. So when they gather, we call it a biennium. Uh, so a couple of biennia ago, the Senate um, through legislation, uh, literally uh, said for the world to hear, particularly the innovation world, look, Texas's borders are open for uh, the testing and validation of uh, self-driving uh, vehicles. Um, there is no need to register with the Department of Motor Vehicles, no need to register with the Department of Public Safety, that's our state troopers, uh, no need to register with TxDOT. Uh, bring it to this state, test it on our roadways, as long as the vehicle that you're testing uh, meets up on all fours with the uh, on-road requirements of other vehicles of its class, then it is deemed suitable for testing on Texas roadways. So that by far was the most uh, liberal interpretation of what could be done uh, within a state's borders. if you recall at the time and still, um, California had been a bit more hesitant uh, about that. So a lot of the Silicon Valley think and, uh, you know, the, the uh, original OEM Detroit uh, think said, well, hey, we need to we need to be in Texas if we're going to make the significant leaps uh, in developing this technology to bring uh, to, to benefit the public. So, yeah, so that's how it got to this state. I mean, the, the legislature. Uh, the governor's office made uh, a very forward-looking, forward-leaning determination about where Texas would uh, position itself vis-a-vis uh, automated vehicle testing. Something else that's perhaps changed over the years is that AVs have also gotten real. Like we're not just talking about testing; uh, we're seeing real businesses, real commercial deployments, uh, and perhaps real problems with with some of the uh, you know real world scenarios that are taking place. What's your what's your read and vantage point on how autonomous vehicle technology has has evolved? Uh, you were kind of talking earlier about uh, now we're seeing this much more rapid uh, innovation cycle. How are you seeing it on the AV front play out? 
Well, you know, it's still uh, it's still under development. You know, the the driving environment as uh, particularly the Silicon Valley uh, innovators that first got involved, it's a lot more dynamic and complex than than meets the eye. Um, so the only real way to um, get to the the billion mile issue is to drive a billion miles. And the only way you find the one in a billion or you know one in two billion is to drive two billion miles. So there's no substitute for a a learning environment uh, in a dynamic real world setting. Um, but how it's done is the question, right? So it's certainly a TTI. We advocate uh, testing in a controlled environment first, right? Perfecting your parameters, perhaps moving it to a uh, semi-controlled or or at least um, better informed uh, public environment, perhaps like a university campus where you can reach all 20, 30, 40, 50,000 uh, folks with information and then, uh, you know, take it out on onto public roadways. So kind of a crawl, walk, um, run approach. Uh, but uh, in many instances, folks just dived right in and went to the run approach and you're seeing some of the challenges in doing that. Uh, I remember very early video, um, and this was the Google car, I believe, and it was driving down a residential street. You might remember this. There was a woman in a motorized wheelchair chasing a duck, right? And they were yes, going down in circles. One. Yes, yeah, the car stopped. It was trying to figure out what was going on. But I mean, there's there's no way um, even in the wildest imagination that a programmer would say, hey, I need to come up with some code in case our vehicles come up on a woman in a motorized wheelchair chasing a duck in a clockwise circle, right? And, and would it have been different if it's counterclockwise? I mean, so all of the permutations that are required, there's just no way to imagine that until you get out into this uh, crazy dynamic world of ours and have actual experience. Let me ask you about a recent incident, uh, and it's the one that happened with the cruise robo taxi in San Francisco. Uh, very recently, it's it's obviously very sad where a woman suffered some traumatic injuries after she was first hit by a human driven car and then then hit by the cruise robo taxi that came you know came to a stop atop of her. Uh, in the AV world, at least, there's an interesting discussion about this particular collision and. There's some people who say obviously nothing could have been done, that the uh, robo-taxi did all it could in this was essentially a matter of physics. Um, but on the other hand, there's any number of types of crashes that autonomous cars are supposed to save us from, to prevent from happening in the first place. Um, what what do you make of this particular incident? You know, there's a, there's a lot that's packed into... Uh, what occurred uh, in San Francisco. Uh, so the first thing I'll say is, uh, and as you stated at the outset, I want to send my um, uh, you know thoughts and prayers out for that woman so that she has a full uh, recovery. Um, but there's a lot to unpack. Uh, it wasn't clear from the reports I read whether or not she was walking against the light or jaywalking, right? Um, the, the description of how it occurred. She was coming across the street. She may have been caught in the middle in the light change, but um, issue one is she was hit by a human driver, um, bounced off of the human-driven vehicle's windshield and was tossed in front of the automated vehicle, which by all accounts 
um, you know, applied the emergency braking as, as forcefully as it could. But as you said, physics being physics, it couldn't stop in time and wound up rolling uh, over the woman. Um, and the human driver is unfortunately, we know, uh, happens all too frequently, left the scene. Um, so the first thing is this crash was caused by human conduct. But what does the media call it? The media calls it uh, a self-driving vehicle accident or crash. Um, so I'm a motorcyclist. I'm very sensitive to that because motorcycle um, crashes are always identified as there was a motorcycle crash on, on X highway. Well, I can guarantee you as a motorcyclist, we're not going out looking for these conflicts so that we can place our uh, barely protected you know, bodies in the pathway of a four to 9,000 or more pound you know, death missile on our roadways, right? So it's not a motorcycle crash. The, the motorcyclist was involved, but uh, we need to rethink how we identify these things. So by the same token, calling it a self-driving vehicle accident or crash is completely erroneous because what the vehicle did is what you would expect from a an experienced human driver. It tried to stop. It didn't have time to take evasive maneuvers. The woman probably came out of the air and then landed in front of it and got rolled over. So there's nothing that a human driver would have done um, that would have made that situation uh, any less severe than it, than it was. The final thing I would say, though, another confounding factor, because the vehicle did sit atop the woman for a few minutes, uh, and this may be a matter of minutia at this point, but electrified vehicles are on average a thousand pounds heavier than uh, the same vehicle with an internal combustion motor, right? And it's a lower center of gravity. Um, with this skateboard platform, more often than not, the bottom is flat, right? So you don't have any gaps where maybe, you know, parts of your body can find some relief until it's pulled off of you. It's just a, a flat, heavy thing laying on you. So um, with the without the adequate science or, or research that's been out there to study that effect, I just put it out there is perhaps something else that's different about that altercation than uh, had it occurred, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Greg Winfrey is the director of Texas A&M's Transportation Institute. He spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. You can hear their full conversation on Shift wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Callan Walker. Thanks to automotive news journalists Michael Martinez, Lindsey Van Hulley, Vince Bond Jr., and Jack Walsworth for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on manufacturing, the UAW strike, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with our own Larry Velaquet, who says Ford and the UAW may have inadvertently found a common path to an agreement that could benefit all auto workers. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.